Bryn Mawr Communications, industry members, and eye care professionals are coming together to create a forum that connects the vision community in these unprecedented times. This program has been made possible in part with support from our premier sponsors, Allergan, Johnson Johnson Vision, Airy, Novartis, and Santen. We'd like to thank all of our sponsors for their support of this programming. Welcome back to another special COVID-19 edition of the Mod Pod. As always, thank you to those who are joining us live and thank you to our sponsors for making this possible. Today's topic is optometry life interrupted. The coronavirus has definitely interfered with many facets of our lives, among them being annual conferences and optometry school. So we are going to examine how these meeting cancellations have affected the optometric profession, uh, the industry, how ODs are fulfilling their CE requirements, and how optometry students are coping with this new distance learning. I'm Dr. Jessalyn Quint, here with my co-host, Dr. Frank Wan, and today we have three special guests to discuss this topic. First, we have Dr. Jason Miller, who is a partner at Eye Care Professionals of Palin, Ohio, and an adjunct faculty member for the Ohio State University College of Optometry. We also have Emily Seitz, a fourth-year optometry student at Pennsylvania College of Optometry, and Dr. Walt Whitley, who is the Director of Optometric Services at Virginia Eye Consultants and is the co-chief medical editor for Modern Optometry's Collaborative Eye Sections. Before we dive in, I'm sure everybody wants to know a little bit more about you three. So Jason, let's start with you. Just tell us a little bit more about yourself. Yeah, um, Jason Miller here, and I'm in a suburb of uh, Columbus, Ohio, here in Powell, Ohio. And uh, yeah, you know this, uh, I'm in a one doctor, I'm in one doctor, one location, four doctor practice. Um, so, so yeah, th this is a uh, this has been a big change for us, and you know our practice location is probably pretty typical to many of you out there. And uh, we do a lot of primary care, but we do a lot of dry eye care. We do a lot of glaucoma. We do a lot of medical, um, and we do a lot of contact lenses, especially contact lenses. So we do a lot, um, a pretty typical all around practice. Um, we've been fortunate to be in a pretty growing community. And, um, and so with that regards, obviously, this has uh, affected us quite a bit right now, as, as many of us uh, out there are being affected. Emily, how about you? Tell us a little bit more. Like you said, I'm a fourth year student at the Pennsylvania College of Optometry of Salis University. I'm here home right now in Cleveland, Ohio. And coming July, I'll be headed to North Carolina to complete a VA residency at the Salisbury VAMC in North Carolina. Uh, in my free time, what something that's kind of interesting is I do make day in the life optometry student videos. Uh, so that's something I do just as a hobby and just to educate future optometrists about what it's like to be in this upcoming field. Awesome. And Walt, what about you? Hey, thanks for having me on this. My name is Walt Whitley and I am the Director of Optometric Services at Virginia Eye Consultants. We are a tertiary eye care facility, and so we have all the various subspecialists within our group. Uh, we also have about six optometrists within our group as well. Um, uh, majority of the patients that we see are referral care. Right now, uh, the majority of patients that we're seeing is still urgencies and emergencies, but when you have so many subspecialists, the retina clinic, I mean, we're still going on that because if patients miss an injection, they can lose their vision. 
some of the more advanced glaucoma patients we're seeing, as well as a lot of the emergencies within the community, because as we know, we want to make sure that as eye care providers, that we want to make sure that we're helping the community, keeping patients away from the emergency rooms and urgent cares and bringing them into our facility. And so roughly we're about 10%, 15% of what we typically do, but that's strictly for only essential uh, eye care. Thanks each of you guys for joining us. I'm really excited about today's show and I wanted to remind all of the viewers that we are accepting questions. If you're using Zoom, we do have the Q&A section. So please submit all your questions in Facebook Live as well. If you're watching us on Facebook Live, please submit your questions. Jess and I will do our best to try to get them into the conversation. But first, let's ask our panelists here, starting with Jason, what's the biggest way, the number one way that COVID-19 has interrupted your optometric life? Wow, that's a really big question, and you know, it's it's uh it's affected it's affected every single aspect of what I of what I do on a daily basis. So uh, I, I think it's probably the, the better answer would be what has it not affected? <laughs> um, it's 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 affected my sleep. It's affected my uh, um, but but yeah, I guess probably the biggest thing for me is that what I've learned going through this crisis is that. Um, I really miss my patients. I really miss my patients. I, um, you know, I am like Walt, uh, I'm not a tertiary center, but I do, um, I do have um, a few urgent and, and emergent uh, patients that come up. I had a retinal attachment patient last week. Um, thankfully, he came in and didn't wait very long. But, you know, so, so yeah, I, I'm seeing about 10 to 20% of what I normally see. And um, so at the end of the day, I really miss my patients and my staff. Um, you know, that's the hardest part is just that we've got such a great bond. We have such a great community. Um, you know, we enjoy working with each other. Uh, and it's, 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 that, that's been the hardest thing to handle, honestly, right out of the gate is just your normal routine of, of taking care of patients and seeing your family, my work family per se. And, um, and so that's, that's got to be the number one. I feel you. That's definitely how I feel about it as well. I miss my patients and I miss my staff so much. Uh, Emily, you're in a really uh, kind of a unique situation. And although you're not practicing yet, your life has most certainly been interrupted. Could you tell us a little bit about it? Yeah, I'm, I mean, you know, we were starting to starting out with our last externship um, of five. We had about two months to go before we got the notification that we need to stop seeing patients and change to a different format of learning. So, you know, when you think about what your fourth year is going to be, it certainly doesn't look like this. Uh, I was in the moments where I was really getting into treatment and management, really challenging myself. You know, how do I want to manage this patient if, if I'm the only one here? You know, what would that look like? And so I think for a lot of optometry students who are missing out on that experience, we're like, like was mentioned before, we're missing our patients. We want that uh, interaction in that last little bit of learning before we enter the real world. For sure. And Walt, what about you? My answers are always going to be the same as Jason's. And so I agree with Jason. <laughs> and so I guess I agree with you too, Frank. Uh, one thing I do different, actually I wear scrubs. So I've never worn scrubs for 17 years in practice, but uh, with all this stuff going around, I mean, it's, it's, it's one of the things that, that I've implemented. Uh, less clinic time, and so we're all rotating. I see patients about two days a week, but it's a very reduced schedule. Uh, as I just mentioned, mostly urgencies and emergencies and uh, post-surgical. 
but I also do serve on our senior management team. And so many of us, you know, whether you're a owner, whether you're, you're, you're an associate, uh, there's, there's things that we could be working on within the practice. You know, how can we prepare as we move forward uh, to whatever that new normal is going to be for us? And so, you know, through this whole pandemic is looking at what are our protocols uh, through our operations committee and, and how we're going to implement things within the practice now, looking at the clinic schedule, which patients can be rescheduled. And, you know, is it four to six weeks? Is it eight weeks? How far out do we do that? Um, and then how do we prepare as we are able to resume normal clinic, clinic activities? So we're looking at that. But I think the most noticeable difference, which I shared with you all earlier, is, you know, being home with the family now. And, I, and fractions are hard. I mean, I thought I used to be good at fractions, but fourth grade math, it's not as easy as, as it used to be. That's true. I think a lot, of, a lot of people out there can definitely relate to doing fourth grade math and new protocols and changing, you know, how they're doing things in their offices. It's definitely been kind of a huge overhaul for, for everyone. Um, there's a lot of parents out there that are definitely homeschooling, but also probably trying to get some CE and take advantage of these different webinars that are there, which I'm sure can be a big challenge in and of itself. So, you know, as we all know, a lot of meetings, Vision Expo East was canceled, um, AOA's optometry meeting has been canceled, and a lot of, you know, state associations have either gone virtual or been canceled. So how have, you know, from an, from an OD standpoint who with, you guys are actively involved in those meetings. How has the cancellation of those meetings impacted each of your lives right now? So, I, you know, I'll jump in. I would, um, so, so if, I, if I say something good, then Walt can agree with me, right? So if I go first, that's I agree. Um, But uh, so, so I would say from my aspect, I uh, have had quite a bit of my CE has been done already. So that hasn't been the highest thing on my list right now. Um, uh, obviously, it's important, um, and I'm happy that our state uh, of Ohio has allowed all 25 hours to be done virtually for uh, all of the all of the licensed practitioners in Ohio. So that's been a great move. They just approved that last week. Um, for me, the the part the biggest part of of meetings um, that I'm going to miss in the next uh, upcoming meetings is just the the opportunity to not in, not in, uh, not only see my friends and colleagues and and get together to see what's um, you know, what's the newest treatment option for a specific condition, but even some of the industry leaders and, and getting a chance to work with them and talk to them about upcoming projects. And we do a fair amount of clinical research in our practice and, and just getting that opportunity to uh, interact with colleagues in the profession, whether, whether, they're, whether they're doctors or whether they're an industry or whether they're, you know, just friends that I, that I enjoy meeting up with. So that interaction, interaction is so important to me. I'm, I'm going uh, to miss that. Walt, do you agree? I, of course, it's Jason talking, so I have to agree. Uh, I was actually supposed to be at both of those meetings as well, but you know things had to get canceled for, for all the right reasons. Uh, those two were a couple of my favorite meetings to go to. One, the great meetings, but two, they're at great locations as well in your backyard there, uh, Frank. Uh, I, I think the biggest thing that I miss is going to be just networking, because that's one of the big things. Yes, we go to educate. Yes, we learn to uh, we're doing business of the various associations, but networking with our, our peers, that's how me and the, uh, my buddy Jason, who I agree with often, that's how we got to know each other many, many years ago, a small meeting, but just keeping in touch over the years. And so whether they're old friends, making new friends, uh, I, I think that's, 
that, that's where a lot of the learning does happen. The conversations we have in the hallway, you know, outside, before, after uh, every, every CE uh, workshop or whatever it may be, I think that's part that, that we're missing on those. But then also uh, working with the various industry partners that we have and getting to know them, what's new, what's exciting within, uh, within their companies and utilizing that, uh, taking it back to our practice to help with our practice and our patients. Now, you guys are really lucky because, number one, I just heard that Ohio only requires 25 credit hours. We're here in New York. I require 36 credit hours. Uh, I kind of want to move to Ohio now for that. But do you guys have any really good suggestions as to where I might actually be able to get my CE? Because I'm not quite as good as Jason in keeping up with all my CE. Any good suggestions? Yeah, so I, I know that there's a lot of great opportunity. I know um, as far as in Ohio, East-West Eye Conference we have in the fall. And, um, and so it's, one of, it's our biggest uh, state meeting. It's kind of a regional meeting. Um, we've pulled some of our speakers from that East-West Eye Conference, and they're starting to do uh, live online um, lectures and classes that people can sign up for. And um, we're offering that to, you know, as, as, a, as a member benefit to, to uh, and even non-members out there to be able to jump online to get some hours of CE from just from some great lectures. Um, I do know that AOA is probably planning on doing something similar. Uh, I know their academy has got some great lectures that are coming out. Um, there's uh, even, even involved in some of the new, um, you know, all the, um, in, you know, and even all the publications, I think there's been some great opportunity for people to use their time uh, right now to uh, learn and to uh, we've got extra time. You might as well jump on an extra webinar. To me, it's been crazy. I'm used to going, you know, every 15, 20 minutes with a different patient, right. And, you know, jumping back and forth. And now I'm like, wait, what time is that webinar supposed to start again? And I'm like, wait, I, that's already started. I'm, I'm late. I'm supposed to jump on that. Um, so for me, timing wise, it's been a, something, a lot of a learning curve for me in that regard. Yeah, it does seem like we're always on one call after another, whether it's, you know, a webinar for CE, whether it's with uh, one of our industry partners, whether it's with our friends or our coworkers uh, themselves, or even if it's a virtual happy hour that I hear some people uh, have been doing to, to connect with each other. Uh, Jason did just mention the AOA. AOA, yes, it did have to get uh, 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 modified a bit, but it's going to be held virtually. And so there's going to be great opportunities to get education there. And so I know right now they're working hard on that program, but it's a great event. And so, Frank, that's one area where you, could, you can definitely uh, get some of your CE. Jason mentioned the East-West. I know I just saw one on SECO. And so the SECO website, I've noticed that they're giving, um, giving uh, uh, weekly, weekly webinars uh, tonight. Uh, so for the State Association, uh, as you know, in many of the states, a lot of the a lot of the members get their education at the local level. So you know, within the local societies. But because of the the pandemic, we're not able to get together. And so I'm gonna I'm gonna lead a webinar tonight uh, for for CE for both our local societies and our states. And so there's numerous opportunities available. Uh, Arbo has been. Uh, has been working with, with the various CE providers to make sure that this is accessible for us because everyone understands this is an unprecedented time, which you know we hear that over and over, but we all have to evolve and adapt to uh, so the cards we're dealt right now. It's true. 
Emily, how has the cancellation of these meetings affected students? A lot of students, um, especially fourth year, sometimes go to these meetings to network for jobs or to connect, um, you know, find out what avenues and opportunities they have. So what, what's it like in your world? Yeah, you make an excellent point. I mean, Vision Expo East is a huge uh, resource for making those connections and looking into jobs. I did a poll for my class trying to figure out how many students were still looking to get contracts signed. And although PCA was a larger class, at least 20 hadn't made any movement on, on getting those job offers. So I think we're hurting a little bit. Um, but at the same time, it's opened up a lot of avenues for online career fairs to take shape. Covalent Careers ended up holding a virtual career fair. So that's something that we were lucky to take part of. Um, but it's, it's kind of an interesting thing for a lot of fourth years that are looking to make those next steps in their career. For, for, from an OD side, um, for Walt or Jason, if you guys have, are, if docs out there are looking to hire, has, you know, because obviously like going and meeting in person right now to do an in-person interview has been a little bit halted. Aside from kind of virtual um, job conferences like Covalent Careers, have you heard of other ODs doing different things to try to recruit students? I will definitely say that, um, you know, we go through, there's some, there's definitely a job opportunity through our state association and people can set up Zoom calls. And, and honestly, I think, you know, by the time Emily is, you know, as, as a senior and graduating from optometry school, um, my guess is that many of them have feelers out at practices already and potentially even have, have had an opportunity to talk to doctors out there. And then hopefully they can solidify a lot of that uh, virtually right now during these times. But, um, but yeah, it's, you know, until practices get up and running again, it's probably gonna be a little bit of time until they even have patients for them to see. So it's kind of a weird time to, to obviously jump right into that patient care side. Yeah. One of the best things to do right now is just to be very proactive there, Emily, for you as well as your other classmates, making sure you're making those connections. You may have to make some cold calls as well because the typical channels, you mentioned Covalent Careers, it does a great job, but there's other avenues. I know AOA has their, their, their uh, classified section the state associations do the regional meetings SECO does have a job site as well and so there are opportunities out there but make finding that location you want to be at uh, knowing the type of practice you want to be at but also what value add are you going to bring to the various potential hires and why should they why should they hire you another good resource is talk to like if, if I was in uh, Ohio I'd reach out to Jason and ask him you know, uh, you know, any opportunities that are available, but also the referral centers that he works with and a referral center such as mine, oftentimes there's many doctors that go, hey, you know, well, do you know of any uh, opportunities in the area? And oftentimes uh, the various clinic directors have heard of opportunities. And so just making sure when that opportunity comes, once you send that email out, making sure people are following up on that in a timely manner and being very responsive, showing the initiative that, that you want that job and want that position. And well, and well, just to piggyback on that, even with some of the industry leaders out there that are, you know, if they're, a, you know, whether it's a contact lens manufacturer or a, you know, or a, or a medical device manufacturer, a lot of those reps uh, may have an idea of what states or where people may be looking in those areas. So these, this may be another opportunity to reach out to them because a lot of them can't come to offices right now and they're all probably looking to fill some time in their schedule as well. Thank you guys. That's great advice. I'll definitely share that with my classmates. 
Now, I know that all of us go to these meetings with the primary motivation of getting our CE credits. Although that's a really big part, it's really clear that most of us are also going to network, to meet people, to go see our friends in the most literal sense. Uh, now that that's kind of a little bit less easy for us all to do, what do you guys think is the future of these types of meetings? Now that we see what's happening now with COVID-19, we have this kind of massive shift in almost the paradigm of how we're doing everything for the next several months. And obviously even larger meetings are going to be potentially uh, potentially stopped and halted for an even longer period of time. We, we just don't know, it's completely uncertain. What do you guys think is, uh, is the future here? What do, you think, uh, what do you think we're gonna see in the future of CE in these types of meetings? You have to be very adaptable and ready to change on the fly is one of the things that you have to do. Actually, I was just on a call. I mean, we mentioned things that AOA has to do for optometry's meeting, but I was just on a call. I, I help with our education for, for us on the state level in Virginia. And so we did have to postpone our meeting from May to later August. But who knows if August is going to be the right time. We, we try to keep the exact same template that we had before with all the, uh, with all the events, with all the speakers, all the courses. Uh, but we also have to talk to the hotel, looking at the space. What if we can't have more than X amount of people in a, in a, in a room, a lecture hall? We may have to have two, maybe three different tracks to lower the amount of attendees to space everybody out. You know, what are some of the things that we're going to do on the exhibit hall side and how, how we can adapt to that versus having a, a, a lot of people within that, uh, within one confined space. And so having an idea of what your plan is, hopefully, but then also having a backup plan to that plan, just in case we do have to go virtual and, and we all just have to be ready for change. But we know meetings are a big part of what we do. It's where we learn. It's where we innovate. And it's a big part of how we improve the care that we provide for our patients. And so it's just going to be, uh, uh, there's still some unknowns on when we're going to be back to whatever our new normal is, but we will get there. Yeah, you know, one thing I've been really impressed through all this is just how adaptable optometry has been and how well that we've handled it. I know it's, there's been lots of challenges, but I can tell you that just from, from talking with my peer group and some of my friends that you know, we're all kind of in the same area of practice and just trying to figure out how to come through this, that, you know, we're, we, you know, we, we, we build on some of those relationships that even strengthened through this. And I'm not going to be surprised if, um, you know, some of the, some of these continuing education ideas, uh, as Walt said, maybe spreading people out, maybe having smaller groups. Um, you know, I think I, I would not be surprised if we adapt very well at this and, and even, and even come out finding some ways that, that may stick, you know, as telehealth may, may be an area that may stick in practices in the future. Um, you know, uh, maybe some, some virtual learning is, um, is important, but I don't think we can get rid of some of the in-person meeting things that we do because it, it is so strong um, and, and it does provide so much information for us uh, to take back to our patients and enhance the care that we provide. And so webinars such as this, I mean, that's gonna be part of education as we've already discussed, but on another meeting and we'll, uh, with BMC, uh, we're planning a meeting right now. It's going to be in September and we're going full board on this. And if we have to adapt, we're going to adapt. Uh, but it's going to be an innovative and unique meeting where we're going to kind of combine modern optometry live, millennial eye live, as well as uh, CRST live, which is cataract refractive surgery today. So it's going to be a collaborative, uh, co collaborative meeting in nature where we're going to have general sessions. We're all going to be together. We're all going to be a network. We're all going to be in exhibit halls together. There's hands-on workshops, but there's also going to be individual breakout sessions. 
And so that, so stay tuned for more information on that, but that's coming in September. We're excited about this and uh, hope, hopefully many, many of you can attend. Yeah, that's going to be a really exciting meeting. So I agree. So follow uh, Modern Optometry BMC and social media platforms to stay tuned on that. I do want to take this brief moment to thank you, uh, give a big shout out to our sponsors who are making today's um, you know, conversation possible. So thank you to Allergan, Johnson & Johnson, Aerie, Novartis, Sunten, Kayla Pharmaceuticals, Avellino, Labs, Diametrics, and Dompe. So their support has been really helpful and to, you know, being, a, being a, an integral tool and allowing us to kind of navigate through this kind of unprecedented time. So we talked a little bit about how CE has kind of had to do pivot a little bit, gone a little bit virtual. Emily, for fourth year students with graduation, are virtual graduations happening? What is, what is that looking like? It is happening, and I don't know what it looks like. I don't know if they're going to take, you know, the virtual reality models and put our name next to them, and, you know, that's how we graduate. Um, it's, it's a thing that's happening, and PCO was pretty early to jump on the ball and say, we're going to make some adjustments here because we think we need a backup plan. And not soon, not too, you know, far after they decided to pull us from our externships, they make the decision, we're going to finalize it and make it a virtual graduation ceremony. So I think when you, you know, expect the end of this whole crazy process and you expect a graduation and a celebration with your colleagues to say goodbye, it's a little disheartening when it's just not going to end the way that you intentionally thought it was going to end. Um, but, you know, there's some things that they're doing. They're offering to hold a different ceremony since Celis is interprofessional. They're offering to let us come back in October and graduate alongside the physician's assistants. They're also sending us our regalia. So I'm really excited about being able to have my doctoral hood and everything that comes with it. It just looks a little different, but I think we're trying to, you know, stay positive about it and hope that we can see our classmates in the future and, and every time we see them make it a celebration then. Yeah, now I would definitely say, and I always say this, optometry of all professions, we are one of the most adaptable. In fact, you know, our entire history is an adaptable history of keeping up with and taking care of things. And, uh, and I would also say that, you know, definitely now in these times, we're seeing this adaptation definitely take place. Uh, do you have any plans after graduation? Are you planning to do a residency? Tell us about that and, and tell us your plans uh, for your residency. I know you said that you were going to, is it, was it North Carolina? Yeah, that's correct. So I'll be at the Salisbury VA in North Carolina, and I'll be completing a residency in ocular disease and primary eye care. Um, you know, it was just an opportunity that I wanted to take firsthand to just learn more and have a little bit more training. No one could have predicted COVID to happen, but I, I definitely think that'll be comforting to me in my career that I still have a whole year of learning um, and not such a large gap between right now and by the time I'm working in practice. So I think it gives me a little bit of support that way. Additionally, I think a really nice thing about the residency is I'll have a lot of doctors, you know, surrounded around me to help me make those clinical decisions. Um, and again, just lend a little bit more support early in my clinical career. Yeah, I'm actually very curious. Now, do you know of any of the plans of your classmates? Do they have a plan? Do they already have a job that they had already set? Could you, could you give me some insight on what your, what your cohorts are doing right now? 
Yeah, so a little earlier I was mentioning that I polled some of my classmates. Um, of the people that had responded, about 20 or so had said that they hadn't secured a job. Um, a few had already secured their contracts and weren't worried about it. And then a handful were also doing residency as well, but looking for other opportunities for moonlighting. Um, so that's, you know, still among people that may even have a job if they want to do associateships or multiple associateships. I think we're all kind of in the stages of trying to nail down exactly where we're going and, and how we're doing and going about it. Um, I've heard some, some people have reached out to me on my social media saying, you know, they might have initially started the conversation of securing that contract. But when COVID hit, the doctor kind of said, we just kind of have to wait and see what plays out here. Um, and so I tried to reach out to other practitioners too and kind of see what their take on it was. And some of the larger practices that I talked to said they're actually using this opportunity to kind of grow and reflect on their practice and see what ways they can enhance it and make some adjustments that they maybe hadn't had time to adjust for before. Um, but they're still actively looking for associates. So kind of like what we were saying earlier, I think the the period in which fourth years are in are how do we make that connection when we can't show up in person and can't physically go to those interviews? What ways can we connect students with those opportunities? And you guys had already mentioned a handful of really great options for us there. For Jason and Walt, you guys are both, um, you have great industry partnerships. For, from an industry standpoint, you know, industry supports our profession in a lot of different ways by providing financial support or different avenues. Um, how, how is industry doing with the cancellation of these different meetings? Are they pulling sponsorships or are, is, has it been creative um, to kind of utilize and show support in another way? Uh, Walt, what have, you, what have you seen so far from, from that aspect? Well, so, so far, I mean, first, whenever it comes to partnerships with industry, uh, one thing, let's say, we, so we do have a lot of students and residents within our, within our practice. And one thing I tell them always is industries are partners. And so they're only going to help us within our practice with the various procedures, as well as the innovations that they prescribe, as well as treatment options that are available. Uh, they do keep us up to date with changes, you know, help give us uh, discussion ideas or, or thoughts on things that we could implement within our practice to, to just be benefit our patients. When it comes to everything that we do, such as uh, webinars such as this, whether it's going to be a meeting, uh, they do support that. And it's important for us uh, to, to acknowledge that because, you know, we're all in this together. What have they been doing so far? I think the first step is always to have that discussion with your contacts with an industry to see, you know, where they are, because they are going through the same things that we are going through, but it's just a little bit differently. And so just having that conversation, so for the, for the meetings that are going forward, so far, we still are having this support. Uh, from, we, we do have the support from industry and we foresee this partnership because we're all in this together. And so having that conversation, you know, may not be the right time for every single, uh, every single sponsor, but, but, but but it all depends on first having that conversation. Hey, Jason, do you agree? Yeah, definitely agree with Walt. Yeah, he's, sure. he's, got, uh, he's got some great comments there. Um, the one thing I would just piggyback on, on what he said was, is that um, the, the number one thing he just said was that we're all in this together. You know, and I, and I do feel that way. I do feel like uh, I do have that feeling that we're all in it together. And, um, you know, for example, I mean, our, our um, you know, our industry partners out there, they are, they want to come in and give us an update on, on maybe a new mechanism of action or a new medication that they're launching. And 
Um, you know, I had one this afternoon that uh, they, the first one that reached out and scheduled a, uh, a virtual lunch and learn with our staff as everybody's um, out in their own uh, homes. I had a couple staff in there today with our emergency patients, but um, the rest, we were able to order food and um, send it from a local restaurant um, to, to their house and um, they could eat some lunch and we did a lunch and learn virtually with the staff. So there may be some more of those coming out, right? So we're adapting. Um, but at the end of the day, I think that you're exactly right in the fact that this partnership is, is really critical. And I have not heard of anyone pulling their support. I would assume that most people, um, if anything, they want to be there in whatever fashion they can to, uh, to help, help us understand what new innovation or new technology is going to be coming around the corner to help us in our, in our day-to-day lives and help with patient care. Yeah, there's been several different uh, uh, meetups or webinars that we've done on Zoom uh, where you know, we, we have been on the calls with industry just talking about that because they want to hear from us too to see how they can help support us within our practice. And so uh, you know, every opportunity I get, I try to get on there because that's the only way that we're going to get through this together is by once again having those discussions. It looks like a lot's going to be changing in the industry, not just in terms of our, uh, our day-to-day practices, but when we talk about how our industry changes, we can't forget about our schools. Emily, how do you think our schools are going to change? Now, we already kind of touched a little bit on how, you know, some of these classes are sort of able to be done online a little bit, but uh, tell us your take on it. I know you're not exactly a spokesperson for your school, but what do you think? Yeah, that's, you make a really good point. And I think from year to year, it looks a little different. I might not be so hands-on in the class setting like a second year is, but I actually held a panel to talk to students from different years to kind of get their input. And I think it's really opening up what we traditionally thought, how we traditionally thought that optometry school could be taught and learned. Um, a lot of it is online now, like like all of us are experiencing with our meetings and our conferences. Um, but it's interesting too, not only are, you know, the classes and courses online, they have labs online, they have practicals that they have to do on friends or stuffed animals. Those are also things that they need to be recording and putting online. I heard a really interesting story about what it's like to take exams. Uh, you have to be recorded so they can tell, you know, what you're doing. But what happens when you have an optics question and you need to look down to write out problems? So it's just really throwing all these you know, interesting concepts of what is it like to learn in optometry and what does optometry and learning in optometry actually entail? And I think we find it's a lot of hands-on things that you need to be there in person, either to demonstrate, to learn, to do the skills, or to be in patient care and to experience those situations. So it's very different, but like we've all been saying, it's something that we're adapting to and figuring out more about how do we do this going forward. Yeah, our residency is through PCO as well. And so just today, uh, there was a grand rounds. And so uh, various professors that are involved with that. And uh, so all the residents get on and, you know, bring their cases. And so they have discussion. And so there's different ways, even as a resident, uh, that, that these discussions and this learning can still happen. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah. And I've benefited from the American Academy of Optometry. They're giving students lectures online. I love those. I mean, it just feels like a great opportunity to really dig into a topic and question how much I know about it. Um, And so the slow pace is actually something that I feel like I've enjoyed because I've been able to tease out little details about conditions um, and sit down and, and go to the textbook again. 
It sounds like each of you guys have really kind of taken this time and turned it into a positive and really tried to utilize it for your benefit. So for, for each of you, what has this experience taught you and how are you going to kind of carry that forward through each of your professional careers? Jason, let's start with you. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I, I guess it's taught me number one is how fast life can change, right? You know, so, wow, how, that just that escalated very quickly. Um, yeah, so, so for one thing it's really taught me is, um, you know, for, for the most part is to really enjoy each day. I think in the, in the past, uh, you know, you're always, you know, I'm a type of guy that's always looking at, you know, okay, I've got this with my next project. I've got this project. I got to get this. I've got to get this article written. I've got to work on this lecture. I got to, you know, figure out this, um, this, um, you know, I got to be in the clinic here. You know, for me, it's just kind of slowing down now a little bit, just kind of enjoying um, not only, you know, what I can handle and what I can, what I can make a difference in. Right. So for right, for me right now, I'm, I'm focused on really, uh, getting the practice ready to go whenever this, whatever this new normal is, you know, not that I love that term new normal, right? But I guess that's what, that's what everybody's using. I don't hope, I hope it's not the new normal for very long, but you know, I guess I'll go with it. But at the end of the day, for, for me, um, it's, it's really taught me to enjoy day by day, enjoy my family, enjoy my time that, um, that I have and um, that I can work on some things to even improve not only my practice, but um, you know, just hopefully I can emerge from this in a better position than, than whenever I started. So it's given me the opportunity to just really reflect on things that's important to me. That's good. Well, what about you? Uh, I mentioned adaptable uh, earlier. And so that's something that we definitely have to be in all aspects of our lives. I first actually have to go back. I agree with everything Jason just mentioned. So <laughs> we'll start there. But we do have to be adaptable. But one of the biggest things that this has taught me is that we always have to be, keep thinking outside of the box as we prepare for whatever's to come and what, we, what our new world's gonna be like. And so just looking at our practices uh, currently within uh, that, that we're doing on a daily basis and seeing, hey, you know, is this right, really the best way we should go about it? Is there more uh, patient care first, but is there more efficient ways that we can provide uh, care for our patients? taking into account the various social distancing, taking into account the various protocols that we have in place, but just thinking, hey, the way that we've been doing it may not have always been the right way, it's just the way it's always been, but there's other ways. And so just trying to think outside the box, great to have teams, great to have these opportunities to collaborate and, and, and discuss with others to see what's working and not, what's not working within their practices. It's true, well said. Emily, what about for you? What has this experience taught you? I think with regard to my professional career, it's definitely shed light on how important it is to be marketable. And, you know, that can come in, in different ways to each individual. But I think it, it's, it's showed that that's an extremely important thing to have. And um, when we're heading into the market that we're not sure about what jobs are going to look like, you know, we're considering it more than other than ever. The other thing I think it's allowed us to consider, and, and I will say thank you guys for being people that are on this platform, because a lot of optometry students are looking at you guys, and we're looking up to you to see how you guys are handling it. Um, but it's allowed us to consider and look at other optometrists who have taken maybe a more non-traditional uh, career route in optometry. Um, so I think that's something that it, it's really opened my eyes up to and has stressed just the importance of versatility. Well, as we said, you know, we're certainly a, uh, a, uh, a, a, a 
in a profession of adaptation, if anything. And that's definitely one of our greatest strengths. And I definitely would love to see where we go from here. Now, we are going to be wrapping up soon, but I did have one last question. As we have three people here who are now in education in one form or another, we now have a really, really big time where we're going to have to adapt in one huge way. And that way is PPE. And we talk about this all the time. In what way do you guys think PPE will be changing for our career, for what we do on a day-to-day basis, in your clinics, in your schools? Uh, let's start with you, Jason. What do you think? Is, are things going to change at Ohio? Yeah, for sure. I think there's, um, you know, for me, I kind of look at two things. There's, you know, there's the reality of, of how, you know, COVID is, is passed, you know, or transmitted. The other is just the COVID fear that society has a little bit. And, and you know, some of the things we're putting up I think do make a difference in slowing down the spread. Other things that we are doing is probably more just to help prevent some of the fear and the unknown that patients that are walking into our clinic. And, um, you know, so, so I do think that um, all of those things are important, right? So I think both of those, I want patients to feel comfortable when they come into our practice. Um, but I also want to make sure myself, my staff, and my patients that come in, um, you know, are safe and are protected as to the highest level that they can be. Um, you know, for me, it feels like it's still changing a lot right now. Like I don't feel like um, I still have a clear understanding of all of the PPE that I that I need and require. Um, certainly, we're we're looking at putting up uh, uh, you know screens in the practice. Uh, we just got our BIOs with a, a shield on our BIO just put on today. Um, we're um, you know obviously uh, ordering masks for all the staff, and you know actually that's been something fun. Even the staff has enjoyed even making masks and things like that. Um, I think. You know, at the end of the day, we're trying to, to, to take each, each requirement and, and figure out how we can best adapt it to our practice. So um, I, I still feel like there's a lot of learning that still needs to happen right there, but, uh, but I, I'm, ready, I'm ready to learn and I'm ready to figure it all out together. Sure. Walt, what do you think? Yeah, actually, there's a great opportunity next week. AOA is having a webinar looking at how to reopen your practice after this uh, pandemic. So that's something that we can uh, definitely look, look forward to. Uh, there, there is a, there's a lot of information, a lot of resources. Uh, Emily earlier mentioned the Academy. I do sit on the, uh, the COVID uh, task force for the Academy as well. And if you go to the website on the hub, there's going to be various information on, you know, on the proper precautions to take. Also, all the evidence-based literature when it comes to, to COVID-19 as well. Uh, on that, there is also a PowerPoint presentation from uh, um, Richard Hom and Greg Moore, where they talk about uh, how, to, how to provide clinical care in this COVID uh, era and, and the precautions that you can take. They talk about PPE as well. I think uh, to piggyback on what Jason was mentioning earlier is patients want to know what we're doing. They want to be reassured that we're taking all of their taking their health to, to well, very significantly, but also make sure we're taking every precaution that we can. And so, uh, for instance, in our practice, I mean, we're going to send out information to all of, the, all of our patients and letting them know these are all the steps that we have taken. These are all the adjustments that we're taking because your, your health is, is, uh, is very important to us. Super important. Um, Emily, anything out of the schools? What do you think as a student coming in? Is there something you'd really like to see change? Is there, do you think uh, we haven't done enough, we need to do more? Or do you think things are okay if they, as they've been? What do you think? 
when I sit back and look at the way that our I Institute operates, it really and truly is like a huge, huge group practice. I mean, all the specialties that are running at a single time, all the people that are coming in and coming out, sometimes there's four students in a room and a preceptor. So I think when it comes to PPE, we just, one, first off, need the resources. The second thing I think is really important is we also need the education of how to clean instruments. And I'm not just talking about the slit lamp. I'm not just talking about the foropter. I'm talking about the fact that students bring their own equipment to clinic and are responsible for using their own equipment. So I think in the next chapter, what will be required for schools is, and for the students and patient safety, is just having more education on how do we operate in clinic for the safety of ourselves and for the patients. Well, I certainly hope the schools are listening because uh, I think that's really great advice. Now, for us, I think it's uh, time to wrap up. I want to thank all the guests for joining us. You guys have been wonderful, illustrious guests. Super, super great listening to your experiences and all the wisdom you guys have to share. Thank you to all of our viewers for joining as well. Thanks, Frank. And thank you again to our sponsors for making this special edition possible. Next week, we're going to change things up again and move it to a little bit more of a lighthearted conversation. So join us again on Monday at 5 p.m. Eastern on Facebook Live. And we're going to talk to OD couples who are at home together in quarantine and see how it's going. So until then, wash your hands, don't touch your face, stay healthy. Bryn Mawr Communications, industry members, and eye care professionals are coming together to create a forum that connects the vision community in these unprecedented times. This program has been made possible in part with support from our premier sponsors, Allergan, Johnson Johnson Vision, Aerie, Novartis, and Santen. We'd like to thank all of our sponsors for their support of this programming. This webcast podcast is intended solely for ophthalmic healthcare professionals and ophthalmic industry representatives. By accessing this webcast podcast, I acknowledge that Bryn Mawr Communications LLC herein BMC, along with any all third-party corporate supporters of this webcast podcast, makes no warranty, guarantee, or representation as to the accuracy or sufficiency of the information presented in this webcast podcast. BMC, along with any all third-party corporate supporters of this webcast podcast, do not endorse, approve, recommend, or certify any of the opinions or information presented or mentioned. BMC expressly disclaims any and all liability or responsibility for any direct, indirect, incidental, special, consequential, or other damages arising out of any individual's use of, reference to, reliance on in this webcast podcast.